Hello, this is Nikdha from Newslaundry.com bringing you your daily dose of news. Today is Sunday, the 13th of September. In the last 24 hours, India detected over 94,000 new cases of the novel coronavirus. This brings the total number of cases to above 47.5 lakhs or 4.75 million. Out of these, 10 lakh or 1 million cases are currently active. 1101 deaths were recorded due to the virus yesterday and the death toll of the country now stands at over 78600. Daily highs in new cases were detected in many states including Delhi, Chhattisgarh, Madhya Pradesh, Gujarat, Himachal Pradesh and Goa. The Home Minister Amit Shah was reportedly readmitted to hospital for a medical checkup late last night. Unconfirmed reports suggest possible complications after his recovery from COVID-19. Shah was earlier in hospital after contracting the virus in mid-August. However, he made a full recovery and was discharged at the end of last month. The Ministry of Health and Family Welfare this morning released a new, more detailed protocol for patients recovering from the virus. Patients who have recovered from acute illness may continue to report symptoms such as fatigue, body ache, cough, sore throat, and difficulty in breathing. The ministry's recommendations for recovery, however, include some less scientific remedies. These include practicing meditation and yoga and eating a teaspoon of chavanprash apart from other ayurvedic and herbal remedies. Tripura Chief Minister Biplav Kumar Deb of the Bharatiya Janata Party on Friday threatened to take action against certain media houses for allegedly spreading fake news about the COVID situation in the state. The chief minister's remarks came after his administration drew heavy criticism for its management of the pandemic. In a statement, the Forum of Protection of Media and Journalists has condemned the chief minister's comments. It reads and I quote, "In the past, newspapers and journalists working in Tripura had a confrontation with the government, but for the past 2 years, the state has tried to turn the media into a slave. With several notices and orders, the freedom of press has been infringed upon. Social media has been used to malign journalists and the chief minister's office has been involved." Unquote. Five Indian nationals from Arunachal Pradesh thought to have been detained when they wandered across the border into China have been returned according to the Ministry of Defence. A spokesperson for the army, Lieutenant Colonel P Kongsai said, and I quote, "Our personnel received the five youths at Kibitu after completing all formalities. They will be quarantined for the specified period." Unquote. The youths had gone missing on September 2nd allegedly after accidentally straying into Chinese territory while going for hunting. Their families said that a few of the boys were working as porters for the army along the line of actual control. They were found last week and returned by the People's Liberation Army of China yesterday. They will spend 2 weeks in quarantine at an Indian army facility before being reunited with their families. Prakash Ringling, the brother of one of the boys who went missing, said in a statement to the media, and I quote again, "Now that they're back in the country, it doesn't matter how they went to the other side." We are grateful to the Indian Army for helping bring them back but the government should focus on developing our backward area so people do not have to risk their lives for sustenance unquote Earlier this year I interviewed Tongam Reena who is the editor of Arunachal Times and an award-winning environmental journalist One of the things we spoke about was the resurgence in wildlife hunting in the state during the coronavirus lockdown We also spoke about a bunch of other issues including the shoddy health infrastructure in the state, the hydropower project in the ecologically sensitive Dibang Valley, and how the region has shaped her as an environmental journalist. This interview was a part of our News Laundry Conversations podcast series and it is titled News Laundry Conversation: Tongam Rina on Racism and Big Media's Ignorance About the Northeast. 
Former Indian Police Service Officer Julia Ribeiro on Saturday wrote to the Delhi Commissioner of Police S.N. Srivastava questioning the investigation into the Delhi violence. Julia Ribeiro has served in many important positions in the bureaucracy, including as the Commissioner of the Mumbai Police, the Director General of the Punjab Police and the Central Reserve Police Force, and as the Indian Ambassador to Romania. Ribeiro said that the Delhi police was taking action against peaceful protesters while ignoring senior BJP leaders who made provocative communal public speeches in the build-up to the violence. In his letter, he wrote, and I quote, I write to you with a heavy heart. As a true patriot and a former proud member of the Indian Police Service, I appeal to you to ensure a fair probe into the 753 FIRs registered against peaceful protesters who rightly apprehend injustices born from bias and hate against a minority community. The Delhi Police has taken action against peaceful protesters but deliberately failed to register cognizable offences against those who made hate speeches which triggered the riots in Northeast Delhi. It troubles sane and apolitical people like me why Kapil Mishra, Anurag Thakur and Parvesh Varma have not been arraigned before the courts of law while deeply hurt Muslim women peacefully protesting against discriminations based on religion were lodged for months together in jail. Unquote. In response, Delhi Police spokesperson Dr. Aish Singhal confirmed receiving the letter and said Ribeiro is a respected police officer. In another update from the Delhi Police's investigation into the Northeast Delhi riots from earlier this year, the Delhi Police has named Communist Party of India Marxist leader Sitaram Yachuri, economist Jayati Ghosh, the leader of the progressive Swaraj Abhiyan Party Yogendra Yadav and others, including leaders of the Pindra Thor organization as people who allegedly quote-unquote encouraged protesters as a part of a plan. The Delhi police claimed that the Pinjratur activists used their educational qualifications to misguide the common Muslim people. In response, the CPIM leader Sitaram Yachuri called the actions of the Delhi police illegitimate and illegal. He said, and I quote, The Bharatiya Janata Party is scared of legitimate peaceful protests by mainstream political parties and is misusing state power to target the opposition. To assert that all Indians are equal irrespective of their religion, caste, colour, creed, region, gender and political affiliations is not only our right but our duty. We will exercise it. Unquote. However, the Delhi police claimed later that the leaders were not named as accused in their charge sheet but were mentioned by a witness in their disclosure statement. The police clarified that no legal action can be taken on the basis of such a statement without sufficient corroborative evidence. Many of you who follow News Laundry might know that our reporters Ayush and Basant have been closely following the Northeast Delhi riots and how the police are investigating the violence that killed many people, a majority of them being Muslims. Both of them have filed multiple reports for our Deep Dive News Laundry Sena series, which is an initiative by News Laundry that allows readers to fund the stories that they want to hear. Through their reports on the investigation into the murders of Maruf Ali and Shahid Alam, we have seen how the Delhi police's investigation is majorly botched. Fake eyewitness statements, Muslims being arrested for murdering Muslims in what was clearly a communal riot, these are only the tip of the iceberg. In case you've not read their reports, I urge you to do so right away. If you know about the recent attack on caravan journalists while they were reporting from Northeast Delhi, I'm sure you'll realize the risk that our reporters take each time they go to cover these stories. So if you think they deserve your support, do read their reports, share them on your social media handles, make your friends and family members read them too. And also subscribe to News Laundry so we can keep showing you the complete picture, something that a lot of our legacy media houses won't do. And you know why? Because they are dependent on ads and sponsors, which very often happens to be the government.
News Laundry is a 100% ad-free news platform for this very reason. Over the past one week, hundreds of farmers across Haryana have participated in protests against the Modi government's new farm ordinances. Three ordinances are the focal points of their protests. Number one, the Farmers Produce Trade and Commerce Ordinance. Number two, the Essential Commodities Ordinance. And number three, the Farmers Agreement on Price Assurance and Farm Services Ordinance of 2020. The biggest demand of the farmers is the introduction of a law to assure them of a minimum support price. They are also of the fear that an amendment to the Essential Commodities Act of 1955 will lead to black marketing. The state administration has been criticised for police action against the protesters. On Friday, the Haryana police registered cases against 300 farmers, including Bhartiya Kisan Union chief Gurnam Singh Charuni for destroying public property and violating curbs on gatherings in view of the pandemic. Criticism for the police has even come from within the BJP itself as two members of parliament condemned the way the farmers' protests were handled and said that the incident was painful. The Congress yesterday said that the central government's ordinances would subjugate the cultivators at the altar of a handful of crony capitalists and it would be a death knell for agriculture. Although the BJP-led government in Haryana has begun negotiations with the farmers' bodies to address their demands, the farmers' bodies have said that the protests will increase in size in the coming week and if demands are not met by September 20th, all the roads in the state will be blocked. And now for some international updates. As of today, more than 28.7 million people worldwide have been found to be infected by the coronavirus, of which a little more than 19.5 million people have recovered. 920,000 people, however, have succumbed to the virus so far. In the capital of Indonesia, Jakarta, some lockdown measures are being reinstated from tomorrow to stop an increased spread of the virus. Indonesia reported more than 3,600 new COVID-19 infections and 73 more deaths yesterday, bringing the total to over 8,700, which is the highest number of deaths in the region. Chancellor Sebastian Kurz of Austria said that his country was experiencing the start of a second wave of COVID-19 infections. He warned that 1,000 cases per day would be reached soon. From Friday to Saturday, the Alpine nation of nearly 9 million people reported 869 new cases, which is more than half of those in the capital, Vienna. It was also announced that the government would expand mandatory mask wearing and impose new restrictions on events from tomorrow. Other countries in Western Europe are also detecting worrying amounts of new cases after a lull in the past few months. The number of confirmed coronavirus cases in Germany increased by 948 in the last 24 hours. In France, more than 10,500 new COVID-19 cases were reported just yesterday, marking a new daily record. The United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees confirmed three new coronavirus cases in Jordan's largest camp for Syrian refugees, Zatari, near the border with Syria, and two cases in a smaller camp in Azraq. The infections in the two camps that house a total of about 120,000 refugees was the first confirmed cases since the beginning of the pandemic. In an interview yesterday, American president and presidential candidate Donald Trump accused his opponent in the upcoming election, Joe Biden, of taking drugs to get through interviews. During the interview, which was broadcast on the president's favorite channel, Fox News, he said, and I quote, I think there's probably, possibly drugs involved. That's what I hear. I mean, there's possibly drugs. I don't know how you can go from being so bad where you can't even get out a proper sentence, unquote. He ended his sentence abruptly but later went on to say that he was not sure of Biden's hesitant performances in debates and speeches. 
Also in the same dialogue, Trump commented on the Black Lives Matter protests, saying that he would happily put down very quickly any left-wing protests. Trump has been sending federal agents to confront protesters most prominently in Portland. In the Fox interview, Trump said it was retribution when U.S. Marshals shot dead a suspect in the Portland killing of a member of a right-wing group. The Guardian reported yesterday about orcas or killer whales harassing sailing boats and yachts around the Spanish coasts. In the last two months, sailors have been sending distress calls about worrying encounters with orcas, which are highly intelligent animals and the largest members of the dolphin family. Two boats lost part of their rudders and at least one crew member suffered bruising from the impact of the ramming and several boats sustained serious damage. On July 29th, off Cape Trafalgar, Victoria Morris was crewing a delivery boat that was suddenly surrounded by nine orcas. The orcas rammed the hull for over an hour, spinning the boat 180 degrees, disabling the engine and breaking the rudder as they communicated with loud whistling. Morris told The Guardian that the attack felt, and I quote, totally orchestrated, unquote. Researchers say that while it is normal for the orcas to follow boats, it is highly unusual and concerning that they are attacking boats, particularly in the orchestrated manner observed by sailors and coast guard patrols. They added that it might be an indicator that the population is stressed or food insecure, worrying for a species population that is already endangered. And now for some homegrown stuff from Newslaundry.com. In this week's episode of Newslaundry Hafta, the panel was joined by M.K. Venu, who is the founding editor of The Wire, to discuss the possible parts of India's economic recovery, whether the government's approach to the lockdown made things worse, and why India has experienced greater negative impacts due to the virus compared to other global economic powerhouses. Here is a snippet from their conversation. Uh, the chief economic advisor, uh, Mr. Subramaniam, said we will have a V-shaped recovery. Now, a V-shape would imply that you will come back to pre-COVID level of positive GDP growth. This is more like a so. There's one theory of W-shaped recovery. So you have you you go down dramatically, and then half of that comes back, hmm. and then you go down further, which is the second leg of you know recession, because incomes have been so badly hit. So there will be a there will be a real demand. Uh, uh, you know, recession, uh, demand compression in the next, uh, say, in 2021. And then maybe in 22, uh, I'm coming back to what you just, uh, what IMF, you quoted IMF saying that that actual recovery will be much later, 2022. That's all for today. Have a great day or a good night, depending on where you're listening from. See you tomorrow. All the News Laundry podcasts are available on Stitcher, iTunes and any other podcast platform. Please subscribe to News Laundry. Help us keep news independent. To catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs and sport, visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And subscribe to our YouTube channel.